0: Thank you for your grace. Thank you for loving us, and we pray, Father, that even as we spend time in your Word now, that you would speak to our hearts and to our lives. That that your will would be accomplished, and uh, Father, we pray that that Jesus would be glorified in not only uh, what we read and how we study, but also in the decisions that we will make. So, Father, now we we pray that you would that you would just speak to us even now through your spirit through your word we pray these things in christ's name amen Uh, today we are talking about be holy uh, and the struggle of holiness this is what I want to share with you today. First Peter chapter 1 today, verses 13 through 16. First Peter 1, 13 to 16 and uh, I'd like to read just that whole passage at one time just so we can kind of put it in perspective. It says, therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Verses 15 and 16 um, are those key passages I said that I wanted you to be memorizing as we're looking at what it means to be holy. If you, I don't know how many of you pay any attention or shop a whole lot at Christian bookstores. We don't have a lot of choice here in in the valley. We've got one here in, in Stockton. At Family Christian, and and we've got one in uh, that I'm aware of in in Lodi at uh, at Vines and Branches, and now we have a, we do have a Lifeway store now up in Sacramento, which is kind of neat because that's us, that's our Southern Baptist brand. Um, they bought out Lifeway, bought out all of the the Berean uh, Bible book stores and so they just became uh, the they just transferred them over to to Lifeway uh, stores, uh, but. If you shop at them, or if you look at their ads and those kinds of things, you'll notice that that uh, the books that are available tend to follow a topic um, for a period of time. They're kind of the hot topic. And, you know, I guess it's true even in, in, secular, in secular books, but especially in Christian books, um, you will see, all of a sudden, you might see five, ten, even maybe even 12 books on a particular topic come out over a period of a year from different authors. Um, and, and different publishers. Uh, a few years ago, it was prosperity, and, and, and the Holy Spirit became uh, a subject of best-selling selling books. The Last Days uh, became very popular a few years ago uh, to look at. and. Um, and and then demonology out of that, and then the new age movement and and uh, and things came out a few years ago, and 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 then a couple three or four years ago it was grace, and that's a that's not a bad thing either. Uh, angels came became a hot item, and um, and then a couple years ago, and kind of still today, you'll find a lot of stuff on heaven, and and that's those are, none of those are bad things. I'm not trying to point a finger at anybody, uh, but but sometimes it's almost like over. Kill you, you. Walk in and say, "Wow, you know, there's the the main books are all on the same topic, and 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 that's just, I guess, the, our human nature." Um, however, there's one topic that I don't think I've ever seen follow that pattern, um, and I don't think it's going to become trendy anytime soon, and that is holiness. Um, and, and I'm not talking about the holiness movement. I'm just talking about biblical holiness. Um, and, you know, typically books about holiness don't make the best sellers list if you can find very many of them, um, because the subject is really too uncomfortable for most Christians. Um. And just doing, just doing a few sermons on holiness might make you uncomfortable and, and it makes me uncomfortable sometimes when I start to study and I begin to look at what God says about holiness and 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 we think well, i 'm not really sure what all this means and and so it 's just easier to read you know a, even a Christian Fiction book about or a, or a sports hero book or you know that type of thing, um, and and I really don't want to sound like I'm, I'm pointing fingers because in my ministry I would imagine that I have preached ten sermons on God's forgiveness and and grace for every sermon I've ever preached on holiness, and I I think that's typical of most pastors that I know um, The this. 20th and the 21st century church, in America anyway, seems to be concerned more with getting right than with living right. And part of that is because being holy seems so out of reach for most people. It's just, it's just this concept that says, hey, I, I can't do that. That's for, that's for certain Christians, it can't be for me too it 's got to be for somebody else. it just can 't be for me and, and so we 're just kind of in that limbo area of what do we do with that? And, and part of that may be because it just is just uh, what Paul warns about. he says, he says don 't think too highly of ourselves. And most of us don't do that. Really, we don't. We don't think mo- too highly of ourselves. Uh, we wouldn't say, "Yeah, I, you know, I, I think way high of myself." In fact, we we tend to go to the other extreme, don't we? Um, we're, we're more comfortable saying, "You know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace," than I'm comfortable saying, "I am a holy saint of the living God." And I got you, I got you, got to know both of those things are true, or at least can be true. If you are a Christian, you are a sinner saved by grace. You didn't earn it, it was a gift to you. But at the same time, as a Christian, you are to be and can be a saint of the, a holy saint of the living God. At the same time, both of those things can and should be a reality for you. And, and you can see that claim of forgiveness and mercy, and, 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 and you can claim that and that blessing from God, but I want you to know that you can also claim holiness. You can, you can act on that because it is your birthright as a child of God. Notice again verses 15 and 16 here in 1 Peter. Peter said, But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy because I am holy. I want you to look at verse 16 and I want you to just underline there in your Bible or underline in your sermon notes those two words, Be holy. The same thing that I named this sermon series. Be holy. That's a command. That's an imperative. And the verse says, simply be holy. The verse before it gives it some context. It says, be holy in what you do when you come to church at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. No, doesn't say that, does it? Be holy in your Sunday school class. No, it doesn't even say that. It says, Be holy in everything that you do. Be holy in all that you're involved with. And we hear that, we read that, and what we tend to do is we look at that as a threat. It's almost, Be holy, be holy in everything that you do, or else. It's kind of like when your dad would say... Do you want me to take you outside? That was the threat, right? If I you either straighten up or else we're going outside. And we transfer that to God. And so when God says, be holy, we see it. Or else what? It can't be good. I don't know what's going to happen, but i never want to go outside and find out. I don't want to know what God is going to do if I'm not holy. But I want you to understand, that's not the reality. Because in reality, this is not a threat, it is a promise. This is God's promise to you. He is saying, be holy in all you do because God will make you holy. You can begin to live on the basis of being holy because that's God's plan for you. You can be. Holy in all that you do because God has given you that birthright and you can begin right now. In the book of Philippians, which, which in verse chapter 1 verse 6 is, is the verse that I claim as my, as my life verse. He says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. It is God who saved you. It is God who took you as one who is a sinner and saved you by grace. But he started this process in you called sanctification. He says, my goal is that you will be holy in all that you do because that's what I created you for. And so he says, I expect you now to begin to live on the basis of that holiness. Be holy in all that you do. And, and for Christians, the problem is not so much a matter of wanting to be holy uh, as it is in winning the struggle to be holy. I think we all want to be holy, but we realize, man, this is not easy. There seems to be a struggle all the time when I, I look at somebody else. I look at the Billy Grahams of the world, the Mother Teresas of the world, and I think, man, I can't be holy like they are. And I can't even be holy like so-and-so sitting on the other pew. Uh, I, I just, I cannot do that. I don't know how to do that. And and there's this, there's this struggle. There's this fight. There's this battle that goes on inside of us. And, and I've discovered that most of us aren't not very effective when it comes to fighting like that. We're not very good warriors. We're in this battle, we're in this struggle, but we're not really sure why. We're not really sure what's going on, and we're, and we're trying to be holy, but, but we don't really even know what that means. But I'm going to ask each of you, what does it mean to be holy? You probably all have a different definition, and the definition might be, yeah, I don't know. I'm not really sure what it would be if I was holy. I'm not even sure what it would look like if I was holy. And the fact is, you can become holy in less than the next 30 seconds, if you want to today. Right now, you can become holy. Whether you think you are or not, you can become holy. Because you know what that word holy means? We've got to define a couple of terms today. That word holy means simply set apart for God's use. Now, how long does it take you to say, God, here I am, like the prophet Isaiah said, I am here for whatever you want me to do. I want to be set apart for your use. I am giving you me. That wasn't even 30 seconds. It's a choice that we make. And so holiness is saying, God, I am willing to be used by you. And so if you want to be holy, then and, and you want to be set apart for his use, uh, then you can, you can make that decision. You just dedicate yourself to him. And once you make that decision, you know what? You are holy. I have gone from saying, God, I am barely hanging on. I I don't even deserve this salvation. Man, I'm glad you gave it to me. To saying, God, I am here to serve you with everything within my being. And he said, thank you, holy child. That's what I'm looking for. That's holiness. And if you want to act holy, then friends, you've got to learn to think holy. You've got to learn to think it. And and I don't want you to mistake this as some kind of New Age nonsense. This is not a Dr. Phil kind of thing. This is a biblical principle. Apostle Paul said in Romans 12.2, and most of you know this verse by heart already, "...do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world." But what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He said it begins in your mind, it begins with the way you think. It doesn't start anyplace else. That word, underlined transformed in your Bible or in your sermon notes, that word transformed, transformation. You know what that word means? In this sense, it means that process of becoming holy. You begin that process of becoming holy, Paul says, by the renewing of your mind. It starts right there. That's where it happens. I'm going to share three spiritual truths with you today. Dealing with being holy. The struggle and what it means to be holy. And this first spiritual truth is right here. Being holy begins in your mind. Begins how you think. You can transfer it to your heart. Because in, in biblical days, a lot of times the heart was was considered the seat of the mind. But it's, it's in your mind. It's where you think. Peter also spoke on the theme here at first Peter he challenges us to live holy lives and Peter shows us that process of holy living begins with the way we think and and once we start to to make foothold in that struggle in that that struggle to be holy, Uh, then holy living that process uh, begins and and we begin to see changes in the way that we live. Things that we didn't know how to do. We were over here thinking, man, I'm just lucky to be saved and all of a sudden we find ourselves winning spiritual battles and we think, man, where did that come from? I don't know how that happened. It's because it started in my mind and God was able to begin that process of growing us into what it is to be a set-apart saint of the living God. And so holiness begins in your mind, and I want you to understand today that there are really three major elements that that Peter is going to share with us that we need to understand. There's three, three elements of holiness which begin in our minds. They're not how big your Bible is. Not what translation it is. It's not what church you're in. It's none of that stuff. It's it's what's going on in your mind. It all begins there. So what does Peter say has to happen? The first thing he says is there has to be preparation. These are three simple words. Preparation is number one. Preparation. Verse 13, he says, "...therefore prepare your minds for action." Prepare your minds for action. If, you, if you're looking at King James, uh, that word "prepare," uh, he uh, that that verse would say, "Gird up your loins." Excuse me. Gird up the loins of your mind. Gird up the loins of your mind. Um, We hear that. We think. You know. I'm not really sure what that means. But uh, but it really is a is a it was a metaphor that the first century believers would understand very well because in the New Testament uh, days, uh, in Old Testament days too, in biblical days, I should say, uh, men wore long robes. They they had robes that went down to the to the to the tops of their their sandals, and and those are fine when you're just doing out some general walking and, and and hanging out around the house and going to work, that kind of thing. But when you had to really get down to work, or if you were having to be in a battle, that's not so convenient. And so what they would do, not only did they wear a long robe that went down, they also wore a belt. And so when it was time to do something strenuous or when it was time to battle, they would, they would pull up the robe and they would tuck it inside of the belt so that now they have a short tunic kind of thing, a short robe and their legs are free to move and to work. And that's what Paul is saying, uh, or excuse me, Peter is saying. uh, Peter says gird up the loins of your mind. He's saying prepare yourself for strenuous mental activity because it's your mind he's talking about, not down around your calves and 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 your thighs. He's talking about mental activity. He says your mind has become a battlefield. You better get ready to fight. If you're saved, then you are an object, uh, you are a target, I should say, of Satan. And you're in a battle, you're in a struggle for holiness. And he said, if you don't get your mind prepared, if you don't, if you don't get that, that, that robe hiked up, then you're going to lose this fight. Because every day, friends, we witness hundreds, if not thousands, of attacks... Events and images that attempt to influence us, to influence you, in the way that you think. Some of them are clumsy and they're obvious. I don't know whether you guys ever heard the term, the name Cal Worthington. Go see Cal. Go see Cal in this dog spot, right? What would he want to do? He wanted to sell you a car, and his used cars were going to be the best cars ever. And it was, they were silly, but they were clumsy, and, and obviously a lot of people gave in to them anyway, didn't they? But most people, I suspect, didn't. But some of them uh, are, are very slick, and they're subtle, and if we're not careful, we find ourselves being influenced by the world instead of being influenced by the Word of God. We listen to those things because we're not prepared. We listen to those things because we're not expecting Satan to do anything bad to us. We're not expecting the world to try to draw us in. And then Paul says, don't be, don't be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so Peter says, yeah, and you've got to get that mind engaged. You've got to get prepared for that. Um, years ago, and I'm talking, you know, now it, it seems like a long time ago, but when, when computers were first being introduced by the millions in America, um, some of you, uh, you know, were, people were learning basic skills, and, and, you know, I can remember the day when you had a computer and it didn't really do anything but sit there and blink at you, and you had to write some code in order to get it to do addition, you know, and you're thinking... Really? I could just get a calculator out and do this. this is a whole, that'd be a whole lot easier. And, uh, and, and so there was all that programming stuff that had to go on. Well, the programmers uh, coined an acronym, if you will. G-I-G-O. G-I-G-O. GIGO. Or GIGO, rather. Do you know what that stands for? Some of you know. Garbage in, garbage out. What was going to come out of the computer was no better than what you were going to program into the computer. And so if you were a lousy programmer, you didn't really enjoy your your computer so much. But you got out of it what you put into it. And it's the same way with our minds. If we fill our minds with junk all day long, uh, we're going to end up doing what? Thinking junk. What we put in comes out. And we'll, But if we fill our minds with Scripture, and we fill our minds with prayer, and we fill our minds with uplifting music, and with edifying conversations, our lives begin to reflect that difference, don't they? Peter said it starts with that struggle in your mind. You've got to prepare the second thing, the second element that Peter talks about, besides preparation, is separation. Separation. He says, prepare your minds in verse 13, but he goes on in verse 13, and he says, be self-controlled. Prepare your mind, be self-controlled. Again, you may have a version of the Bible that says, be sober. Be sober. When the Bible says that, when that Greek word is translated that way, uh, then you, you really have two meanings, just like we have in English. They were the, the Greeks were not much, not much different than we were in that. The first one means, if you, are, if you are told, be sober, that means to most people, don't be intoxicated. Don't get drunk. That plain, don't get drunk. That's what it means. Be sober, don't get drunk, don't get intoxicated. But it also means, if you are sober, it means to have a clear mind. It says, he says, you got to be prepared, but you have to separate yourself, and you can't do that if you're intoxicated. You can't do that if you don't have a clear mind. Peter's saying that if you're going to live a holy life, uh, life then you've got to keep your head on straight. You got to be in control here. You got to, you got to have, you got to have the ability to think. You know, when a person is intoxicated, uh, what happens? They lose the ability to reason. That's why they do such stupid things in cars when they're drunk. You ever seen a drunk driver driving down the street? I want to ask you if you have experience doing it, but you, you ever seen one? You think really? You got behind the wheel of a car? And this is what you're doing. You're all over the road. You're bumping into. You know, you're. You're. It's, it's like they're. They're. They're driving by Braille. They're, whatever they can touch and hit, they know. Go the other way now until you hit something else. And you know, it's like you know, pinball machine almost. And and so you know, that's a that's a dangerous thing. And. And they're not capable of making good decisions. In the same way Peter says, you've got to remain sober. Not just free from intoxicating beverages, but also free from intoxicating thoughts and intoxicating emotions. Because if we live by our emotions, we are not going to be able to make good decisions. You got that? If you live by emotions, they become intoxicating and you cannot make good decisions at that point. It's really tough when you start to get intoxicated that way. A few years back, um, I needed to trade in a car and I needed to uh, was trading in a small truck and I was thinking, man, I think I'd like to have a full-size truck. I had no business, I had no need for a full-size truck. I just thought, you know, it would be kind of neat. So I, I actually went down to trade in the car, and I, and they had my truck, and they were looking at it, and I was looking at these new, shiny new, full-size trucks, and the guy came over, and, and he said, why don't you get in it and sit in it, and we went for a little drive in it and, and everything. And, and you know what's intoxicating about that? It's that new car smell. Man, my little truck had stopped having that smell a long time before that and it's just intoxicating and and it's so hard to get it so because the pressure is there you want to buy this you want to buy it right now because they don't want you to leave the lot without signing some papers and and giving them some money what they know is I didn't have any money to give them but they still wanted money anyway and and but that smell was there and 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 the shininess and it was shining those new trucks were shining in the showroom and I'm thinking ah oh man I really want to have this and it was so hard not to to give into that and that's what Peter means when he says be sober Spe- spiritual truth number two the second thing that Peter wants us to get today is that keep your head don't be controlled by your emotions don't give in to your emotions when it comes to being holy because they're not going to lead you there As holiness begins in your mind and For us to live holy lives, there has to be an element of separation where we detach ourselves from our emotions. Where we just say, you know what, God, I know that you gave me emotions, but right now, they're not my friend. Right now, they're, they're a little bit intoxicated. They're not so sober right now. And so God helped me to just detach myself from that because I don't want them to have the power to control me. And, and so we just have to detach ourselves from our, from our possessions sometimes and from the things of the world. We have to say, you know what? Everybody else might do that. The television might tell me it's good to do that. Politicians might tell me it's good to do that. But that's not what God tells me to do in, in my my heart and my mind, I know it's wrong, and so I am going to detach myself from that. And that's hard, because it might be everybody in your family that's going the other way. And you've got to say, no, I'm sorry, I can't do that right now. I can't be that. i got to detach myself. I can't let my emotions guide me right now. And So he says... First is that element of preparation, and secondly there's the element of separation from the things of the world and our emotions. And then thirdly is concentration. It's concentration. You ever watch little kids play little league baseball? How about T ball, even? That's that's a that's a real hoot, is watching a T ball game. Could go forever, but it's a hoot to watch it. I remember when when Tim was little, you know, just getting started and And actually, it was his, it was actually his second year, the first year, down in series, they didn't play t-ball, they played coach pitch. But in his second year, I was helping coach his team, and it was, it was still, he was all of like seven years old, if he was that old, and and it was, um, and it was t-ball, it was just mandatory, everybody that age was t-ball. And, you know, you look at these little kids, I mean, I mean, golly, the mitt's bigger than they are, you know, and... Um, and they don't understand the game at all but you you work with them a little bit you know what the first thing they seem to get and it's just a it's a hilarious thing is they, they catch on to the idea that you run from base to base and when they get a hold of that idea nothing stops them when the when someone hits the ball and the coach says run, they run. And they'll put their head down. Doesn't matter the little boy, the little girl. They just run. And, they, and, you know, buildings could be falling down around them. They don't care. Their job is to get to second base. They have this intense concentration to get there. And nothing is going to stand in their way. Even if they weren't supposed to run, they run. And nothing stands in their way. Say, stop, come back. No, I'm going to second base. That's the only thing I know to do, and I'm going to get there. That's that's the kind of concentration that should characterize our approach to holy living. Nothing is going to stop me from getting there. That's what God created me for. That's what He saved me for. That's what He commands me to do. That's what He promises to do in me. And so I don't have to stop. I can be holy. I can be holy in everything, in all that I do, because that's His plan. Peter says again in verse 13, Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. I'm going to do another definition for you real quickly. Underline the word grace. Set your hope fully on the grace. The word grace is the word is, 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 is charis in Greek. We get charismatic from that. It's a, it's a grace gift. It's, that's what it means. Um, and the word charis uh, means kindness shown to one who is undeserving. Kindness shown to one who is undeserving. In the New Testament, when Peter was writing about that, that word charis was used to describe a kindness that a master might choose to show to a slave. They didn't deserve it, because they're, I mean, it doesn't matter if they deserved it or not, they're slave. And so they can't claim it. It also was maybe used to describe a kindness. uh, Or, excuse me, it also was used to describe a kindness God shows to us. There's nothing about me that I can claim God's kindness. I can't say God, man, I, I deserve that. It just doesn't work that way. But He gives it to us anyway. He's not compelled in any way to show kindness. God does it because He wants to. God shows kindness to us, not because we're good, but because God is good. He's good Himself. That's why He shows kindness to us. And our hope, friends, is in His goodness, not in our goodness. Isn't that good to know? That that my hope is not in how good I can be. My hope is in who God is. And His goodness never fails. You know, when we, when we do personal evangelism, a lot of times we're, we're trained to ask a, a question, and, and frequently it's if you were to die today and, and uh, Peter were to, were to meet you at the pearly gates, or even better, if God were to, would to, were to have you stand before Him and ask you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? You know, your answer to that question reveals where your hope is. If your answer to that question is, well, um, God, uh, you see, I, I think I was a pretty good person. Or God, I, I think you should let me in because I go to church. I, in fact, I was a member of Brea Baptist Church. Or or because I was a good husband, or I was a good wife, or I was a good mom, or I was a good dad. I was a good worker where I work. You know, almost it doesn't matter what it is at that point. If if anything like that sounds like the answer that you would give, then that indicates that you've placed your hope in your own goodness. That's where you're looking to. You're looking to what you can do and, and how good you've been. And, and believe me, that's shaky ground. The only true hope is God's grace. It is God's goodness that He shares with us. We can't learn to be holy until we take our eyes off ourselves and concentrate on God. I want you to just watch the screen here for about a couple minutes. Got to put God in the center. Spiritual truth number three, that we have to learn. God must be the center of your attention. Can't be anyone or anything else. Kids are going back to college. I just saw on the news last night, uh, Cal Berkeley and all the others are all showing up now. And maybe you heard the story, but I I, I remember the story. I doubt, I, maybe it's true, I don't know. It's just an old preacher's story students came in on the first day of college class professor stood up and he said I want you to know I've given you all an A already now in the rest of this term I want you to learn all you can about the subject in a sense that's what God does for us Bible says In Hebrews 10.10, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We walk in, and God says, I've already made you holy. Now, spend the rest of your life being holy. Be holy. I already made it possible for you begins in our minds where we pray prepare for that struggle of holiness. And we have to separate our thoughts from our emotions and we have to set our eyes on God's grace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again that you are holy. And thank you that you make us holy. You saved us for that very purpose. That we might be holy, that we might be like our Savior, Jesus Christ. That we might exalt Him, glorify Him for who He is. Not just in our worship, but in our very lives. Not just in church, but Monday through Saturday as well. And Father, we will give You glory and praise for what You're doing in our hearts and lives. Maybe today, there's someone who needs to say, Jesus, I, I need to be saved. I don't know that that's the case here today, but if that's the case, we want you to have that opportunity. That's the first step to being who God has called you to be, to let Jesus be your Savior. Most of us here have done that. But it is time, perhaps, that we learn to be holy. Not just in words, but... But in everything, in all that we do, let us be holy. Let us be that one who says, God, everything about me I give to you right now. And as we sing, have thine own way, Lord, let that be our commitment. God, it's your life. You created me. And so let me glorify you with everything in my being. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.